Welcome back to NC Realtors Redefine, the NC Realtors podcast. In this episode, from our Mobile Mondays group on Facebook, NC Realtors appraisal section chair, Peter Gallo, shares his top tips on what you need to know when working with appraisers. But first, Do you have feedback on a story or topic that you'd like to hear covered on this podcast? Then give NC Realtors Redefine a call at 336-550-4437. When leaving your voicemail, be sure to tell us your name and where you're from. Your comments may be used on a future episode of NC Realtors Redefine. I'm Jessica Hughes, Chief Operating Officer with NC Realtors, and I'm so happy to welcome all of you on behalf of NC Realtors Appraisal Section. I'm honored to welcome today's speaker, Peter Gallo, who's the chair to the NC Realtors Appraisal Section. Today, Peter's gonna discuss some best practices that realtors need to know while working with appraisers. Peter, welcome. Uh, Thanks, Jessica. Uh, The appraisal section thought it would be helpful to continue our conversation between realtor agents and brokers and appraisers to help explain the appraisal process and to demystify what is and is not allowed when an appraiser is hired for one of your transactions. So let's talk appraisal. Um, All appraisers have to follow something called the Uniform Standards of Professional Appraisal Practice. And some states only require adherence to USPAP for federally related transactions or FRTs, but in North Carolina, North Carolina is a mandatory state and requires all residential, commercial, and review appraisals to comply with USPAP. So, and our state licensing board uh, is the one that enforces everything in this book. And so I, appraisers need to follow um, there's ethics and standards rules in here. Um, one of this, one of the main parts of USPAP is the ethics rule. So language is very important in this rule. And I'm just going to read the first line. An appraiser must promote and preserve the public trust inherent in appraisal practice by observing the highest standards of professional ethics. And this is so important for you to know and understand when dealing with appraisers. Um, as far with under the conduct uh, area here, please note that an appraiser must not perform an assignment with bias, must not advocate the cause or interest of any party or issue, must not accept an assignment that includes the reporting of predetermined opinions and conclusions, and mu- must not rep- misrepresent his or her role when providing valuation services that are outside of appraisal practice, and must not mislead. Uh, must not commit fraud, et cetera, et cetera. So these are all, um, this is something very important. Um, These are ideas that are very important to know when dealing with an appraiser. So also the the residential appraiser, who's also a member of the National Association of Realtors, is also a member of North Carolina Realtors and of their local association and thus also must adhere to not only the NAR code of ethics, but any other guidelines of their local realtor association. 
So it's also important to know that many appraisers are also licensed brokers and can and do have sales experience. And it's important for the appraiser to clarify, to clearly expose which hat they're wearing when interacting with the public. So the role of the appraiser, we're not advocates, we're hired by the client to be an unbiased third party. This is what gives the market confidence that a state certified, unbiased, unrelated third party has observed and given an opinion of value on a property that is the collateral for a loan. These loans are bought and sold by investors and allow not only for the existence of the 30-year mortgage, but bring stability to the housing market and the economy overall as buyers and potential sellers look to take advantage of the equity in their home and build wealth. So let's talk about, in, in light of all of this, let's talk about communicating with the appraiser. There are kind of two periods of time that where interaction with an appraiser are different. That's before the assignment is completed and after the assignment is completed. So before the assignment, um, first and foremost, you, in any way, you can't pressure the appraiser. Um, but other than that, before the assignment's completed, when an appraiser's calling you to set up an appointment if you're the listing agent or calling you or you want to provide information to that appraiser before the assignment's completed, that's totally fine. Um, any market information, CMAs prepared for the listing, sales that the appraiser you think might not be aware of, any things that, that's not readily visible or available to the appraiser that might affect value. Um, it's really up to the, you can give all that information to the appraiser and it's really up to the appraiser to filter out that information and decide what is credible or relevant to the development of the appraisal. So after the assignments completed and sent to the client, um, first, who is the client? Just because uh, somebody's paying for the appraisal, maybe the borrower's paying for the appraisal, that, that is not the definition of the appraiser's client. The, the appraiser's client is whoever engages the appraiser, not who pays. So when we get an order, when we do that engagement, that original engagement, that we're doing that with our client. And the appraisal, the appraiser is liable to that client. And so liability, what does that mean? Well, information in the report, when we deliver the report, that's confidential to the client. Now, if the client decides to share that appraisal um, with, with other parties, that's uh, up to the client, but the appraiser is not allowed to do that on their own. Um, so if you get a copy of the appraisal and you might be thinking, can I call the appraiser? Well, you can call the appraiser, but the appraiser is not able to disclose any report results. They can talk in generalities about appraisal concepts and that type of thing. But as far as specifics from that report, any report results or opinions in that report cannot be discussed. They can only be dis discussed with the client. So after the appraisal is completed, any concerns really need to go through the lender, which is, is normally the appraiser's client, and, and then uh, and provide that information if there's sales or reconsideration of value, that type of thing. That needs to be done through, through the lender. 
But to avoid a lot of that, appraisers would much rather get a lot of that information up front. Um, this way we don't have to go, there aren't as many questions after, and we don't get a lot of these callbacks. Um, the most important, um, the most important thing to an, to an appraiser when they produce a report is that it's credible, reliable, that it's accurate, um, and that we, we didn't miss anything. That's uh, really an appraiser, kind of the worst nightmare is to find out that maybe you've missed a sale on the same street or, or something that's, that's really relevant. So anything that can be done prior to the assignment to help that appraiser out with, with any data or any observations that they might miss or you think that they might miss is, is very important. So how are appraisers selected? Appraisers um, should be selected on competency, on quality, um, their experience. Um, but as we know from Dodd-Frank and where appraisers can no longer be engaged directly from uh, loan production staff, third parties have come into play where they order or, or lenders develop their own rotations. So now you have kind of a combination of appraisal management companies with their rosters or lenders with their appraiser rosters that they do a rotation on um, uh, selecting an appraiser and engaging an appraiser. A, a competent appraiser will have general local market knowledge and the ability to obtain and analyze specific market data. Um, so the appraisers that are working on, a, on an assignment should really belong or have access to the local MLS where the, where the property they're appraising is located in the case of a residential appraisal. appraisal. In commercial, I'm not a commercial appraiser, but commercial, there are other sources like CoStar and other databases that um, are available and that commercial appraisers subscribe to because they aren't necessarily, they, they can uh, pull sales as comparables from a much broader base, especially when appraising um, unique properties like golf courses, airports, that type of thing, there, there's a need to go outside of the local market and, and to find properties that have sold that are comparable. So with that in mind, um, appraisals aren't magic. We all have the same data. Um, agents and brokers in the field are using the same MLS data that we are. So if you, if you think there's going to be a problem with the appraisal, there probably will be a problem with the appraisal. So all the more reason to, um, at the time of the appraiser coming out to observe the property, maybe meet the appraiser and provide them with, with a packet. Again, you're not, you're not pressuring the appraiser, but you're certainly giving them information, market data information, things that you'd, you used and maybe your listing um, or, or just your general knowledge of the property and of the market locally. Um, so when we talk about selecting, let's talk about selecting uh, sales as comparables. So appraisers often use the concept of bracketing. When, you, when an appraiser approaches value on a unique property, what, what you are doing to begin with is you're kind of trying to find sales that you know are 
superior to the property you're appraising. And then also looking at and, and figuring out what are definitely inferior properties. And then you're trying to squeeze down on that, especially on unique properties. Um, and, and, and find the data in between there and further and further refine it and refine it until you have uh, sales that you think represent all the characteristics of the property and that bracket the property that maybe they're a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. They have, um, if, if you have a house that has a water tower as you're, that you're trying to appraise, that you try and get another sale as a comparable that has something externally like that, that's also affects that property that has sold. And you can and see how different external issues affect um, the value of, of the properties in that neighborhood. And in that light too, we can't just consider the higher, the low sales. We must consider all sales for use as comparable comparables. Um, a lot of times we get that in reconsideration of value. A lot of times we're confronted with um, a reconsideration of value or information from a party that's maybe not an intended user of, of, uh, of the appraisal. It's not the client, it's, some, it's the listing agent or it's some other person or party. And a lot of times what we get are just the high sales, just they, or, or just something, um, some information that um, is asked to be considered on a specific either uh, range of value or uh, aspect of the property. And we, we really, as appraisers, we look at that and we can tell um, when that's the case. And really, we have to be looking at all the data. We cannot just be looking at and even if there's one sale on the same street um, that's sold, and we might have used that, we, we should probably have used it. And if it's if it's similar in in um, in most respects, um, it's still one sale, and one sale does not make a market. We have to go and give a broader perspective to that one sale, which means using more quantitative data, and then drilling down and using the um, the more specific sales as, as comparables. So um, yes, I do recommend the listing agent meet the appraiser at the property um, to provide documentation or leave it on the counter. We have, um, that happens a lot, it's helpful. Um, you might wanna do that because it's a little less, um, I don't wanna say confrontational, but just leaving it on the counter makes it more convenient and um, you know, an appraiser is a professional. They should be uh, professional when interacting with, with uh, other people in the, in the property. And again, they are the ones that are going to decide in the end what's, what information you're giving them is credible or not credible. So appraisers should be receptive to that. And, and receptive to uh, you being at the property and giving information. And so you're not doing anything wrong by doing that. So just don't pressure the appraiser and you all I'm sure know, know what, what that means. So as far as adjustments go, we get a lot of questions about adjustments. Adjustments are the, the, the real black and white of it 
is the paired sales uh, approach or method where you have two identical homes next door to each other. One has a fireplace and one doesn't have a fireplace. And the one that has a fireplace sold for $3,500 more than the one without. Well, there's your adjustment, $3,500 for a fireplace. But that obviously does not happen very often unless you're in a new development and there's a lot of very homogenous homes being built. Um, but even then there's very variations on trim packages. Um, and when it comes to adjustments, there's a couple things. What you, what you wanna do in appraisals is bracket. So you have higher and you have lower. So a lot of times you can use those sales. If there's a higher one, there's a, a, a bigger one, a smaller one, as far as square footage grow, goes or gross living area, you can just let those uh, sales speak for themselves. And you can see the range that's there. And, and when appraisers start putting too many adjustments in to report, it starts to become less credible, uh, less reliable because you know, we need to support those adjustments. So if an appraiser is making an adjustment, we really need to be pulling those out of the market or doing some sort of depreciated cost where you know what it costs to install like something like a pool, but then you have to really figure out how that item contributes to the overall value of the house. And that's sometimes difficult, but, um, Cost and again, cost doesn't always equal value. So, what a pool might cost to put in now today, and in certain markets, pools are overwhelming. It might be very, very desirable, and you might they might add more than what they cost to put in. In other markets, maybe where an HOA has a pool and a pool isn't really that desirable or not desirable, but um, isn't such a huge selling point. The market will show that and it will also it's just it it just won't be that cost might not equal the return that you get in the value um, and then too too many adjustments in a report can can often be a red flag for underwriters or reviewers so there were variances that we used to have to address for the gses which still are good guidelines today where you don't want one line item adjustment to be over 10% of that um, comparable sales price. You don't want a net to be over 15% net adjustments or a gross adjustment of over 25%. Once you start going over those kind of variances, you really an appraiser really starts to need to look at whether that sale is truly a comparable or not. Um, when you talk about new construction, and the interior amenities and finishing, how does that weigh on value? It can, what we're, what we're often seeing though, is it's hard from an appraiser perspective because a lot of those specifics aren't available in the um, descriptions of the listings uh, by the builder in the MLS. What you get is you get a lot of representative photos, um, generic language. So what the appraiser's doing is, really looking at the size, the quality, and they really need to drive by and look at and, and know that development and, and talk to the builder and talk to the builder about what they're, and, and look at the contracts and see what they're getting for the different um, finishes. And 
and that's the thing too, uh, an upgraded trim package or maybe an up, upgraded hardwood from maybe a, a, a less inferior, less, a lesser hardwood to a more um, a superior hardwood or maybe a little more costlier. It, it just depends. It really depends on the overall, what, what the subject, what the appraiser, how the appraiser sees the subject and when they, when they inspect it. But also we're looking at really quantitatively, usually there's a lot of data in these new, uh, new developments and you can see trends and you can see that the big factors are the garages, you know, one car garage versus two car, the amount of bathrooms, the square footage. And then you're also trying to find resales of existing homes in that area um, because sometimes a builder, one builder in a development can control that market and make their own, make their own market just with their own homes. And that's something that's very um, important for appraisers not to get sucked into that. They need to look at the overall neighborhood and values of, of existing homes and how that those new homes in that entire neighborhood um, are impacted or with their place in that entire neighborhood. So um, that's something that we have to watch out for. The measuring homes. So appraisers aren't professional measurers. Uh, Fannie Mae, although, will be requiring all appraisers this year to be utilizing the ANSI standards. But we're not, appraisers don't measure homes. They, they measure homes in order to get a good, credible basis for the subject size and to support what there's, how big they're saying they're, the home is that they're appraising. So if I say, I personally measured it. I, I know how big the house is and I, and I have those requirements um, to um, report on. So it's also good for as agents and brokers to know how to measure. I know a lot of agents and brokers use third-party measuring um, services, but you really do also need to know how appraisers measure, how to measure a house so that you're all speaking the same language. And with that comes also the term gross living area versus square footage. So gross living area is a term that appraisers use for heated living area above grade, where square footage can, can mean a lot of different things. Um, a lot of times um, when blueprints or assessors can include porches, garages, and just lump it all into square footage. So know that appraisers look at gross living area, which is a specifically de uh, defined above grade heated living, living space. And that's why price per square foot's not always a reliable method of valuation because price per square foot, per square foot can be in a lot of different things. And um, if you just base a value on price per square foot, well, then there's no, there would be no difference between a thousand square foot basic ranch in a neighborhood versus a thousand square foot waterfront um, on acreage with outbuildings and a dock. So there's different quality, different um, locations, different that different, a lot of differences where price per, just valuing price per square foot would not take into consider, consideration any other uh, factors. Thank you all for joining us today. If you'd like to participate in future interactive live mobile Monday sessions, 
Be sure to join the NC Realtors Mobile Mondays group on Facebook. Be sure to catch up on every episode of NC Realtors Redefined by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud.